This podcast is brought to you by the Stevens Center for Family Business, whose mission is to support the success of family business through the generations with education, networking, and collaboration. We want to create this new environment that really supports what our client's trying to do. So we upcycle it, and we do as much to it as we possibly can to make it as cool as we possibly can. When we've kept millions of tons out of landfill. It's so cool. So what makes Michigan a great state? I'm glad you asked. My name is Cliff Dubinois, and I'm on a quest to answer that exact question. After 20 years, I've returned to my native Michigan, and I'm looking to reconnect with my home state. I'm talking to the people who are behind Michigan's great businesses and top destinations. The same people who work hard every day to make our lives a little bit brighter. And you, Michigander, are coming along for the ride. This is the Call of Leadership Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Call of Leadership Podcast. Today is going to be a really special treat. We're, we're doing a more of a business-to-business business, podcast episode today, but I still think you're going to get a lot of value from it because we're going to talk about something that we all have to deal with at some point in time in our lives, and that is workplace environment. And today's guest, she is the CEO of Space Incorporated. They are a workplace design firm based out of Midland starting back in 1995. And I'm going to let her share the story with not only myself, but with you as well. Uh, their three main focuses, of course, is the workplace design, sustainable spaces, as well as healthy workplace and virus protection. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Kathy Fuse Hobum. Kathy, how are you? I am fine. Thank you for having me on your podcast today. This is exciting for us. <laughs> it's exciting for me as well, and I'm really looking forward to it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up? Well, I'm from a variety of places around the, around the state, but I consider a small town in western Michigan by the name of Shelby, Michigan, my, my hometown. And I grew up where the north begins and the fine fruits grow. So that's, that's Shelby's claim to fame. I moved a variety of different places growing up. We lived in Lansing for a while. We lived in Shelby for more than a while. I graduated from Central Michigan University, awesome. spent some time there, ended up married in Coldwater, spent a little time there, and then finally ended up in Midland, Michigan, and we've been here for the last 35 years. Excellent. What brought you to Midland? A series of fortunate accidents. Oh, I love it. I know. Very good. I have a teaching degree. So when I graduated from college, basically I didn't know that girls could be anything other than teachers, nurses, or secretaries. Right. When I graduated with a teaching degree, I ended up teaching for five years and was laid off from teaching and didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and found an organization called Battle Creek Office Equipment. And I went to work for them in their selling office interiors is where I started. And I was quite possibly the worst salesperson probably on the planet. It was a straight commission job. And I think I made, oh, if I made $2,000 that first year, it would have been a miracle, but I loved it so much. I love the industry. I love the ability to change people's work environment. And so I kept going on it, got a little bit better, got a little bit better. And then one day my husband called and said, would you mind if I took a transfer to Midland, Michigan? So we were down in the Battle Creek, Kalamazoo area. And 
I honestly, I really wasn't listening to him that carefully because he worked for the federal government and he wasn't necessarily at the top of the list of transfers. So when he said, uh, would you mind if I take a transfer to Bay City and Midland area? I just said, yeah, sure, not a problem. And sure enough, they moved him like two weeks later. Wow. Yeah. So I had to dress in black and whine for a little bit (laughs) (laughs) when I moved up to Midland because it wasn't, I was really happy with the the business that I was in, the people I worked for, and it was a wonderful experience. And then moved up to Midland and worked for a couple other dealerships is what it's called before I founded Space Incorporated in 1995. So that brings me to my next question. Why did you decide to start Space Incorporated? That's a wonderful question, but I didn't decide to start Space Incorporated. Basically, I'm an accidental entrepreneur. Okay. I had worked, I had moved from Battle Creek to Midland. I'd worked in a couple different for a couple different companies. I worked for a wonderful man by the name of Bernie Moray down in the Detroit area. He wanted to open a dealership up here. They gave me an opportunity. It was a wonderful experience. Over the course of probably four or five years, he ended up being bought out of the business and somebody else came into the business and it wasn't as good of a fit for me. And so one day in 1994, the new owner came in and said, I'm closing this location and go tell the staff that they no longer have jobs. Ugh. Yeah, I know. At the time, it was, it was rather traumatic. But that said, I mean, it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me from a career standpoint because in the next 90 days, we basically opened Space Incorporated. So we didn't follow the textbook format of having a business plan and having a thought process involved. We just knew that what we were doing was something that we were meant to be doing. And it seemed silly to close a business. So we just opened Space Inc. 90 days later. That's awesome. And I think one of the things that I really like about what you were just sharing there is, and it's something Mitch Album writes in his books, where all endings are also new beginnings. Absolutely. I'm a firm believer in that. Yes. So for you, for having the owner come in and saying, okay, you need to tell everybody that they don't have any jobs anymore, I'm closing up shop, Yep. to all of a sudden seeing that, hey, there's an opportunity here for us. Yep. And 90 days later, opening Space Inc., Mm -hmm. kudos. Well, kudos, and I'm a firm believer that the universe aligns when you're on your path and when you're finding your purpose. You know, things happen to help you, whether they look good or they look bad. It, It just points you in a direction. You know, we had the opportunity to start a business. We were forced into that opportunity to start a business. And at the time, I had a business partner. And in the interim, before we opened space and we were looking around and we didn't know exactly which direction to go, we were driving around town looking for where we could relocate to because we had a a facility up here that belonged to the other company that they had been renting. We needed facility. So my business partner and I got lost. And <laughs> and so we were driving around, and we turned down Vantage Point Drive, which is the drive that we're on, and we drove to the end, and there was this building. It was brand new. 
And there was a gentleman outside, and he was painting the building. And we looked at it, and we said, gosh, this is our building. This is going to be the home of our new business. And we rolled down the window, and we said, who owns this uh, this building? Uh, We want to move in. And he said, my dad does. And his dad is someone who's a, a fam- kind of a famous entrepreneur around Midland, Michigan. His name's John Bartos. John did everything in his power to help us awesome. relocate. Oh, it's awesome! Yeah, you just there's you just can't pay him back enough. But anyway, he moved us in and helped us through the first year and gave us wise counsel and helped us build the business. And I say we started with two computers. Oh, three task chairs, five employees, and a dream, you know? Oh, man, I love these stories so much. (laughs) I really do. So I want to go back, and I want to highlight something here. You had a job. The owner closed up shop. 90 days later, you started Space Inc. Mm -hmm. You don't have an MBA. No. You don't have any business degrees. No. You don't have any of that. I don't. And yet you still said, you know what, let's launch this business. Well, there's, I mean, ignorance is a strategy. Is <laughs> when I look back on it, it's kind of like, okay, I can do this. No, we didn't. We knew we loved what we did, which was to create workplaces that inspire people and that they really enjoyed. We didn't have any business background. And from a financial acumen standpoint, really lacking. But amazing amazingly lacking. We also didn't have a lot of capital. So to fund the business, as I mentioned before, my husband was a federal employee. Right. Every two weeks, he would have a $50 savings bond taken out of his paycheck for our kids' college education. When we decided to do this, I was 40 years old. And we had accumulated, he'd worked for the federal government for 20 plus years, and he'd accumulated about $40,000 in savings bonds, individual savings bonds. So when we opened the business, my husband signed all the savings bonds for our kids' college education and gave it to the bank and said, this is what we're going to do, and we did it. And here you are all these years later. And here we are. Yeah, it was a good investment. It took him a few years to realize that his $40,000 was a better investment. But luckily, we're, we're into that phase of this now. So Exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about the philosophy you, that you bring to workspace design. Mm-hmm. I've spent quite a lot of time looking over your website and seeing the photos and the work that you have done. And I will have to say this because I spent a number of years sitting in beige gray Mm -hmm. cubicles. That was obviously the lowest bidder, just how many people can we cram into this space. You guys are really elevating that to bright colors and comfortable furniture and spaces for employees to hang out. And I mean, there was like one picture I saw with fabric from couches that kind of blended right in with the floor. (laughs) And it made me think of a Salvador Dali painting. But it's it's beautiful. Why why is this design aesthetic really necessary for somebody that's just coming in and grinding it out eight or nine hours a day? That's exactly why it's important. They're in there grinding it out eight or nine hours a day. So even in the post-COVID environment, you're going to spend a good third of your life in a workplace environment, whether it's a home working from home office or if it's the workplace where you gather. I mean, our real focus is in this 
area where you're coming together with other people? You know, is it an office? Is it a hospitality area? What kind of space are you coming into? I think the biggest thing about workplace interiors, when we're trying to create, we think we're really creative. We have a variety of different ways to do it, but what is the client trying to accomplish? I mean, we really want to start with the vision and the mission of the company. We want to start with a vision and the mission of the project so that we understand, so that we can interpret. Good designers right. interpret what that concept is, and they create the reality from that. When you see our designs, it's very reflective of the personality of the organization we're working with versus a, you need this, you need this, you need this, and we know what's best for you, you know. So we take your concepts and then we interject the, the actual pieces and parts that create it. One of the things I'm really excited about, and I am really excited about this, we can create that vision two different ways. So if you, if the vision of it can be resolved with all new. You, you're building a new building. You need all new flooring. You need all new this. You need all new that. We can absolutely do it that way. That is not a problem. If, however, we filter in a lens of sustainability, we can create an environment for you that reutilizes some of your products that allows us to exchange into a sustainability exchange some of your seating or some of your systems furniture for what you want now. So instead of putting all of that into the landfill, instead of creating a, a deficit in the natural resources, and instead of doing it that way, let us look at it through the lens of sustainability and create the same type of environment but with a lot less environmental cost. So I'm geeked about that. We call it Space Anew. It's it's a great program. So we've done this. We started doing this in 2010 for the federal government. We do a lot of our work with the federal government. Right. And it was kind of invented by one of our interior designers. She looked at a project that she had, and it was a big project. It was four or five buildings in Washington, D.C., <clears throat> And the end user wanted to take the four or five buildings of leased property and combine it into one new building that they were building. To do that, they were changing the floor plan and the footprints and the vision and the mission of the new building was different than their five existing buildings. So they were going to abandon all of the products that they had in their five buildings all of the chairs, all of the cubicles, all of the private offices, everything was going to be abandoned, put into a warehouse, put into landfill, and then buy all brand new. And the project was a substantial size. It was about a $10 million project. So the designer looked around and she said, you know, we can use this. We, it, we don't want to use it the way it looks right now. We want to do some upcycling to it. We want to create a new environment with it. But there's no reason to put all of this into the landfill. So she came up with a way to reutilize and reimagine the existing products. So we were able to take the budget of the project from $10 million down to $4.8. We were able to reutilize about 93% of the existing items that they had in their five buildings. That's awesome. I know, and we've kept 
millions of tons out of the landfill. It is, it's so cool. Hey everyone, we're gonna take a quick break to thank today's sponsor. The Stevens Center for Family Business exists to support the success of family business throughout the Great Lakes Bay region of Michigan. It provides a wealth of resources that family business owners and leaders can access to leverage the unique strengths inherent in their family enterprises. The center provides educational opportunities about managing the often complicated combination of family and business and hosts networking events where family business leaders can share their experiences and learn from one another. Drawing on experts from around the country, the center focuses on topics and issues that are unique to family business. It emphasizes best practices to achieve optimum business results while maintaining family harmony. With programs on succession planning, preparing the next generation, communication and conflict resolution, governance, family dynamics, policy development, company culture, and many more, the Stevens Center for Family Business probes subjects that are vital to family-owned enterprises. Regardless of the size of the family business or the number of years in its history, the Stevens Center for Family Business can be a valuable resource for helping to secure the ongoing legacy of multi-generational family businesses. The Stevens Center for Family Business, where networking and knowledge meet to support the success of family-owned companies, both in their business pursuits and their family relationships. For more information, please go to the website at svsu.edu backslash Stevens Center for Family Business or contact me, Casey Stevens, Membership Coordinator at 989-964-2776. And now back to the show. I love this term that you used, upcycling. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, I love upcycling. I like the word. I like the concept of upcycling. There are organizations and businesses in our in our field, in our industry, that do what they call refurbishing. They refurbish stuff. Right. We call that lipstick on a pig, actually. <laughs> Not to be too mean to our refurbishers. But a refurbisher's idea product is I have, well, let's do a cube. I have a blue cube, and it's located here, and I want to refurbish it, which means I want to turn that blue cube to a green cube, and I want to take that cube as is, and I want to move it from point A to point B. So that's the thought process with refurbishers. What our designers do is they want to reimagine and reinvent what you have. So they take, let's say, that same cube, and they think about it in terms of its lowest common denominator. So they divide it down into core pieces, just pieces. And they take those core pieces and they put them in, we'll say, a pile, a computer-type pile. Then they take the new vision of what they want to create, and they want a new look, they want new aesthetics, they want new function, they want new productivity, they want whatever the criteria of the project is. And based on that, then they're going to pull from this from their, de- their deconstructed items and fill in over at the new location. So when we upcycle things, 
it's not just about changing a color. It's about taking that piece and maybe, let's say it's a panel and it's 60 inches tall because that's the way cubes were done back in the day. We want to take that. We want to cut it down. We want to put a new surface on it. We want to add some glass. We want to, we want to create this new environment that really supports what our client's trying to do. So we upcycle it. And we do as much to it as we possibly can to make it as cool as we possibly can. So sky's the limit. Oh, absolutely love that. Now, you have an office in Midland. We do. Also have one in Virginia. We do. Congratulations. Thank you. That was That's actually a good story. And I'll, <laughs> I'll share, if you don't mind, I'll share that with Please you. Please do. Okay. So I mentioned earlier that we do business with the federal government. Right. Okay. So in 2001 was 9-11. And if you remember back that long, the economy in Michigan was devastated. Right. It was very difficult to do business. And certainly from mm. a let's get new offices criteria, that wasn't necessarily top of mind mm. for right. anybody mm. in that time. So during this, right after 9-11, we had an opportunity we knew that there was a project with the federal government up on the border patrol up between Canada and the Sioux. And we knew that they were going to be redoing one of their buildings. So one of the gals that worked for us had to find the people who were actually in charge of the building up, up in the Sioux because they were located in Missouri and some people were in Vermont. It's just you had to do a lot of figuring out. So she found that we, the project facilitator, we were able to do the project, and we found out that we liked government work because, in general, we like to cross T's and dot I's. We're right. that kind of organization, and from a DNA standpoint, that fit really well with all of the structure in a federal government procurement process. So she said, I think I can get a GSA contract, which is the General Services Administration, and she went ahead and started to do paperwork and filling out forms and did everything and got us a GSA contract. Well, I honestly, I think we were the first one in the United States that had their own, from a dealership standpoint, had their own GSA contract. Mostly they were held by the manufacturers. So the big steel cases ah. would have them. But we got our own. And about four months later, after we got our GSA contract, we got a fax. And the fax said, do you want to bid on the furniture for the Department of Health and Human Services, check your box, yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> well, heck, yeah. <laughs> so, sure Can enough, I get one of those? <laughs> yeah. Check, 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 check. So we send back in our facts. We don't hear anything. So months go by, and all of a sudden we get a call from a gal out at the Department of Health and Human Services, and they said, hey, you checked your box, Yes. And we want to take a look at you, and we're doing some research, and we want you to bid on it. So we're ecstatic. We're like, yay. We don't know anything about anything, so we're, we see no downside to this. We're like, yay. So we take this back to the manufacturer, and the manufacturer says, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. We have dealerships in the Washington, D.C. area that get this. They get it. It's their area you know, basically go away. And if they don't get it, we have another type of a 
uh, relationship with the federal government, and we're going to give it to somebody in Texas. So, no, no, you can't do this. Come to find out, we were the only people in the United States, the only business in the United States that sold the product that we had that checked their box. Yes, we were it. So (laughs) we ended up with a very large contract with the federal government. We got what's called a blanket purchase agreement with the Department of Health and Human Services. And so in 2004, we started doing business out in Washington, D.C., and we were really fortunate to have that business through the last, I don't know, what is it, 20 years or so. Beautiful. Yes, wonderful, wonderful. Little facts pointed us in the right direction. And I, I want to go back and circle something here because I've, I have actually, I got friends that have worked with contracts from the federal government. Yes. You were in other business as well. This is something I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs out there, a lot of business owners out there realize is that there's a lot of contracts through the federal government and through the state government Yes, that many of them don't really get any bids on, or if they do get a bid, there's only one bid. How did you get started working on federal contracts? Well, having a blanket purchase agreement is a different... Once you have a GSA contract, a GSA contract is designed, I'll call it a hunting license, but basically says, I have been vetted, or our business has been vetted to do business with the federal government. So you've gone through the process of letting them know that this is what the products we sell, this is the, how financially viable our business is, this is how long we've been in business. By that time, we'd been in business nine years, so we had a little history. We had history of these are the, this is the size of projects we've worked on, this is, this is a list of our customers. So we were vetted through a GSA project, or process. Once you have a GSA contract, then you can go to the individual agencies and you can look on government websites and things like that and you can see what type of opportunities. So we had our GSA contract. Department of Health and Human Services actually found us because we were certified as a woman-owned small business and they reached out to us via the facts. Most of the time, though, you spend, you spend your time looking for the opportunities that fit your needs, and then you respond to those opportunities. So as we've evolved over the last 20 years or so, we started with our blanket purchase agreement, and we started doing business, and we made sure that we delivered what we said we were going to deliver, and then we started to look at more of a diversification and marketing to the federal government. So, for example, in 2021, there was an opportunity for a blanket purchase agreement with FDA, And we applied for that knowing what we could provide. And it was a large opportunity. I think there were, in total, it was over $50 And they don't pick just one person for the blanket purchase agreements. They normally pick two or three, four vendors with it that fit criteria. So we were one of the vendors that was selected for a five-year opportunity. Congratulations. Thank you. That was a big deal. As a matter of fact, we were just named for the state of Michigan Government Contractor of the Year through the... P tax and yeah, congratulations we for that too. Yeah, yeah, happy to discuss that with anybody out there who wants to do business with the federal government. I think it, people sometimes are scared of doing business with the federal government. They think it's hard. It's not hard, but it it's exact. 
So you, you, if it's in your DNA to be very exact and precise and it, that doesn't bother your team, then it's a great opportunity. And literally, I've said this before, I don't think we would be in business now without having a diverse market. So some in East Coast. We actually do business around the United States for federal organizations. So. Absolutely wonderful. So you and I connected mm -hmm. because of the Stevens Family Center. We did. So talk to us a little bit about your business being a family business. Yes, it's a family business and a, with a Gen 2 leadership team now. So I'm, I'm in the process of semi-retiring, except I will say I'm not very good at retiring. I'm trying. CEOs are horrible at retiring. Oh, man, I tell you, this is a hard thing to do. I'm actually taking lessons retirement lessons that's what i call it it's actually called legacy council through another organization called the edward lowe foundation and they do a great job with legacy and getting people to retire as far as the stevens family business well one i'm a huge fan but both of our generations have gone uh to their events uh, we go to their executive roundtables. so they have a leading generation roundtable, and then they have a second generation roundtable that allows peer discussion on what's happening with the family dynamics of the business. And family dynamics just add a little complexity because if you're mad at your son because he didn't take the garbage out, it, 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 it should not impact sales numbers during the day, but somehow they get all intertwined in your mind. Through the uh, Stevens family business, we actually have developed, I think, a really strong succession process so we started succession planning maybe, I don't know, six or seven years ago now. Oh, wow. Yeah. My son is 38 now. So we probably started when he was 32. He worked outside the business, then he came back in. So he had worked here for maybe six years. But it was a three-phase program. So phase number one was providing educational opportunities and a consultant for strategic planning and thinking about the business of running a business. I came from a background of lack of financial literacy, and I didn't know what a business was. So having that as a as kind of a foundational piece, as gen, our Gen 2s are moving into that, that was really good. And then we brought in a financial consultant. Um, he happens to be our accountant, but he's so forward-facing. So here's my plan, and how am I going to fund it? Because, again, that was... I just didn't have any background in that, and I knew that was an area that we needed to work. And then the last piece, which is probably the most interesting and the most difficult, is the leadership piece. So all of the education, and I heard somebody say one time that you can own a business, anybody can own a business, but you might not be able to run it. So Truth. Yeah, it's so truthful. Being a, a business owner is fine. You can do that. It's a monetary thing. You can own a business. Leading a business, that takes some chops. And it takes a lot of conversations and mentorship and things like that. So really, our Gen 2 leaders have gone through these three processes, and now they run day-to-day -day operations. They, they're, And they're perfectly fine at it. Matter of fact, they do things that make me laugh. <laughs> like, oh, that was smart, you know, so... I want to chase down that leadership that you just talked about yeah. there. But first, I have to go back and ask this question because my curiosity is going wild. Why not just sell the business? 
cash out. You would, if you're talking like three to five times multiplier for your revenue, sure. I mean, you would, could take your whole family and buy an <laughs> island in the Caribbean somewhere and, and just live high on the hog, little drinks with umbrellas. But you've decided to pass this down to the Gen 2, as you've as you referred to them. Yeah. You know, why, why is that important? Why is that, why is that legacy keeping in the family? Why is that important? Oh, gosh. Well, I think there's a variety of emotional reasons that creating a legacy that continues in a certain way is always very satisfying. So uh, we've talked internally about Patty. My son's name's Patty, P-A-D-D-Y, running the business since he was in college. And it's always been optional. You don't have to come in and run the business. You can own the business and not run the business. You, we can sell the business, or you can take it through a second generation and hopefully into a third generation if that's your, if that's your passion. So right now, his, he's very involved with the business, and it's a joy for him to take it on. So I think I'm happy to give, and he's happy to receive. And it, it just it's really... I'm very lucky with this. A lot of people maybe don't have this opportunity to pass on their business. For me, it's been a labor of love, and to have somebody who really has that emotional attachment to it take it on is is satisfying. If he came to me tomorrow and said, hey, I think this isn't my passion, um, okay, we could sell it. But luckily, that's not the case right now. So it's a good thing. And I'm Wonderful. Happy. With regards to leadership, let's go back and talk about when you decided to become the CEO, mm-hmm. start Space Inc. What was probably one of the one of the biggest lessons that the universe or the life taught you about leadership? Because obviously, you didn't make it to this point without right. having some leadership skills. Uh, well, I again, <laughs> the first few years, I I think what happened. There were, there were some milestones that really it were impactful. And I think in 2001, the bit, we had a milestone that said, you know, wait a second, this is a business, not a hobby. And we're Ooh. going to run it as a business. So there was a big aha moment that we said, we really need financial literacy and we need to run the business a certain way. So luckily for me, I was on the board, the advisory board for Chemical Bank at the time, and the CEO emeritus was a gentleman by the name of Alan Ott. And Alan had retired, and he was a grumpy little guy. (laughs) (laughs) I love him to death, so I can say that on podcast. I cornered him at a chamber event, and I said, I need some help because we're not financially literate, and we cannot continue to do the business like we're doing it because we're really not running a business we're just kind of accidentally selling things or doing whatever it is to needs to be done so every month starting in 2000 probably every month i would go in with my financials and he would ask me questions and the first year literally first year i had no clue what he was going to ask and i had no answers for what he was going to i'd have to go back i'd have to research and i'd come back second year i would i got better third year i could anticipate and i was ready for his little questions but that fourth year i could ask the questions and that has been one of the biggest gifts i can i can't thank him. i couldn't thank him enough he's since passed away but i i was with him for 20 years we were 
Yeah, I mean, just he, it's such a gift. I mean, how do you even say thank you for that? So that was kind of the, one of the first milestones. And then in 2007, we won, we won the Michigan 50 Companies to Watch. That's, it's because of all the government work and we were kind of growing and doing things like that. So we won that. And as part of the prize, we got to go down to the Edward Lowe Foundation and sit around and talk strategy. And my business partner at the time, Lisa Hulbert, and I went down there. And she said, when we were learning, it, they talked about working on your business versus working in your business. That's huge. It's so huge, and it's so easy, and nobody had ever mentioned that in the first, I don't know how many, 12 years we'd been in business. And that's the point where we became purposeful. Purposeful Love leadership. It purposeful financials, purposeful, purposeful. We're going to work on the business. We're going to do it a certain way. So when you talk about leadership, leadership is a thought process, and it's a responsibility, and it is a, I mean, you can really see lack of leadership in how your business is performing, how your people are performing. Um, When you see the issues that are happening within a business that always do, you can trace those right back to leadership. So probably starting in 2007, everything that we've tried to do has been on purpose, not on accident, but purposely done. So it's it's been good. Yeah, indeed it has. Now for the succession planning mm-hmm. and turning your business over to your son, what has been some of the key pieces of advice that you've shared with him? Well, you know, you got to be careful sharing advice. <laughs> you, try to, you try to do that, but it's like, you know, sneak that in every so often. Actually, Pad's been very good. There's been advice from me on, actually, in fairness, when Pad came into the business a long time ago, he's never been the owner's son. He worked in all different divisions of the company, but did so in such a way that was very appropriate. Sometimes you get owner's kids, and they feel entitled, and they do things differently. He never has done that. He's always been very receptive on, let's think about things this way, and maybe let's look at this differently. Both he and Jenny Bush, which is our other Gen 2 leader right now. So as far as advice I've given him, I think he's gotten advice from a variety of areas. He, I was very insistent that he had outside mentors. I'm very insistent that our leaders do have outside mentors, Love and it. I, it is Love so it. important. Yes. So I was able to connect with some of my connections. His first mentor that he had. I mean, it's it's just been an amazing relationship. And Jenny B's there. So that was kind of my advice, like. I can get you a mentor, so go listen to them. So, which has been great because a lot of times the mentors say the right things, and you're like, ha ha yay, yay! I completely agree. So, comes at it a little differently. I started working with mentors and coaches last year mm, mm-hmm. uh, for the first time ever. I yeah. mean, people have been recommended it to me for years, but I'm kept thinking to myself, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Man, I wouldn't, I would not change that experience for the world. It is just amazing how quickly an outside view can mm-hmm. provide clarity for problems that you've been struggling with for months, maybe even years. And just exactly. having them ask one question, hey, well, what about this? Exactly. And all of a sudden, a door opens that you just never knew was there. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm a firm believer in mentors. I'm a firm believer, well, I'm a firm believer in getting help anywhere you can. Maybe not taking all the advice, but being able to find a lot of advice and pick the parts you need. But I like um, CEO roundtables. I think that's all. Peer-to-peer learning is always very powerful. So, yeah, anything like that. And he's been, both of them have mentors, long-term mentors, and they're very, again, purposeful and respectful of, of that relationship. Wonderful. Kathy, if anybody from our audience is listening to this podcast and they want to check out what it is that you're doing, maybe learn more about Space Inc. and what it is that they're offering, what's the best way for them to to do that? Well, you certainly can go to our website, which is www.spaceinc.net and take a look at what we what we do. I think if you want to talk about leadership or you want to talk about business or how to do work with the government or something that maybe is a little less tangible than, hey, I need a new workspace, you can call the office. We do have an 800 number. Julie Hayes answers the phone. She's usually pretty good at getting people on my calendar. For our audience, we'll make sure to have all of that information in the <laughs> show notes down below, including the phone number. <laughs> Kathy, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today. I have learned a lot from this conversation. So thank you for taking time. Listen, thanks for uh, for asking and it's been a pleasure. Hey everyone, before you go, I want to invite you to the Call of Leadership community. Here you can get access to some really great behind the scenes goodness like upcoming guests, interviews, but you can also get thoughts from these interviews as well as actionable tips that you just will not find anywhere else. Plus, you can stay current with what's going on, not only with this community, but with this awesome show, because there's some good stuff that's coming. Join us by going to callofleadership.com slash email. Once again, that's callofleadership.com slash email. And I'll catch you in the next episode.